0: Planning a mission trip for your group can be really hard, so we created a super simple process to make it easy. Learn more today at blueskymissions.org. You're listening to the Student Ministry Podcast. If you're a youth pastor, small group leader, college pastor, or even a parent, this podcast is for you. Whether you're looking for tools and resources, or encouragement and wisdom, you've come to the right place here's your host Kenny Ortiz greetings and welcome in to the Student ministry podcast. I'm your host Kenny Ortiz coming at you from the beautiful metropolis of Orlando, Florida. Thank you so much for listening to this episode today. This is episode number nine of the podcast and we're going to be diving into some uh, some incredible wisdom from the great uh, philosopher and theologian Bill Gates. Okay, he's not a theologian, neither is he a philosopher. However, uh, he is the founder of Microsoft and he in recent times has been a philanthropist and I think he's got a lot of great wisdom that we can learn from and I think we can apply to the world of student ministry. And so I'm excited to dive into the content uh, and some of the things I've learned from Bill Gates. Hey, before we do that, take care of a few quick bits of business. Number one, you've probably heard me talk about this if you've been listening to the podcast over the last you know, few episodes. I actually have another podcast called Theology for the Rest of Us. It's a podcast designed to really answer questions about theology and the Bible in a simple way, You know, not for the seminarian or the theologian, but for the rest of us. And so I think that'd be valuable to you personally and maybe even as a resource that you can share with your youth and young adults and people in your ministry as they wrestle through questions of theology. So you can check that out at TheologyForTheRestOfUs.com. Hey, one other quick note before we dive into the content for this episode, and that is the importance of subscriptions and reviews. Anyone who knows anything about podcasts know that subscriptions and reviews are very important. And so if you're not subscribed to the podcast, head on over to whatever podcast catching app you're familiar with, Hit that subscribe button it's really valuable to the show in terms of uh, helping us get up the, up the search rankings when people are searching for us uh, and it's helpful to you because whenever you're subscribed it guarantees you never miss a single episode whenever an episode goes live it gets delivered directly to your device so make sure you're subscribed to the podcast uh the other thing that's really helpful to the show in terms of helping us in the search rankings are reviews they are really really important the more good reviews we have the more people we will reach. In particular, if you're an Apple user, would you consider leaving a review? Head on over to the iTunes uh, store, iTunes software on your desktop, or the, the podcasting app on your iPhone or iPad, and uh, leave a five-star rating. Tell the world you love the podcast. That would be a big, big help. Thank you for to all of you who have already left reviews, and then thank you to all of you who haven't already done it, but but will do it in the future. Thank you in advance. All right, let's dive into the content for today's episode. Um no doubt many of you if not all of you are very familiar with uh, with bill gates he's the founder and longtime uh, ceo of microsoft Uh, he obviously has been away from microsoft operationally for quite some time um, in recent years, he's been a philanthropist, traveled, doing a lot of speaking, doing some consulting, some charitable work around the world. It's, it's been really cool to, to watch Bill Gates and the, the Gates Foundation do some great work uh, all around the world. And, and in his speaking and, and in his charitable work and his philanthropy, uh, he's given a lot of speeches and done some consulting. He's given a lot of words of wisdom to different people, both you know in small groups as well as in speeches, um, really a lot of wisdom and things he learned while he was the CEO of Microsoft, things that he implemented there that he is kind of sharing, you know, with the world, some of it being organizationally speaking, but a lot of it just personal things that I think would be valuable for all of us to apply to our lives both personally as well as to our ministry and our leadership. So what I'm going to do in this episode is I'm going to run through a bunch of Bill Gates quotes, you know, a bunch of inspirational quotes, things that he has said in speeches over the years that I think are valuable, You know, bits of wisdom that I think we can apply uh, both, again, to our personal lives as well as to our ministry and our leadership. And I'm, I'm going to be talking about it from the perspective of student ministry, but the reality is these are bits of wisdom we can apply to any area of leadership no matter no matter what genre of life you may find yourself in. Number one, don't compare yourself to anyone else in this world. If you do so, you're insulting yourself. Man, I think this is way more profound than we realize. Now, I know many of you listening to this are already going to be saying to yourself, yep, you're right, I know this already. Like Many of you do indeed already know that you shouldn't compare yourself to other people, that the dangers of comparing yourself. Now, it's okay to learn from other people and to gauge your success and kind of where you are in certain ways by comparing what some other people are doing. I think there's a lot of healthy ways to compare. But what I think what Bill Gates is referring to is the unhealthy way, way to compare, which is what most of us do. What we often do is we look at other people and we say, man, I wish I was like that or I wish I could have that or man, I, man I'm, I'm not as good as I wanna be because of that. I think many of us really end up cultivating our own insecurities and our own inferiority complexes because we end up comparing ourselves. You know, Bill Gates says when you compare yourself, you are you are actually insulting yourself, which I agree with, but you're actually insulting someone much greater than yourself that Bill Gates doesn't even allude to, you may not even realize, is that you're actually insulting God. Like all of us are made in the image of God. And so when you don't like the way you are, you're insulting God's creative work in you, God's specific creation of you. Now listen, I know most of you are pastors, preachers, leaders, youth workers, and you're probably saying, we know, I know this, kind of, yes, and I know you know it. I know that you know it. However, many of us forget this. We often forget that, that the truth in scripture that says that we are wonderfully and fearfully made, hey, that applies to us too. I don't know about you, I don't know how many times I've been in student ministry and I've been able to preach that to a, to a kid I, and I believed it for them and I believed it wholeheartedly on their behalf and I tried to, to get them to, to understand that truth. But so often I look in the mirror and haven't believed it for myself. So often I end up comparing myself to others longing to be different. And I believe that's not only an insult to myself, but I believe it's an insult to the Imago Dei, the image of God, that it's an insult to God's creative work in me. And so be very cautious that you don't compare yourself in a way that cultivates your own insecurities or insults the image of God. I would challenge all of us to really consider God's unique design of each one of us. Number two, technology is just a tool in terms of getting the kids working together and motivating them. The teacher is the most important part that's Bill Gates right the founder of one of the most successful software companies in human history like he let me read that again because I think it's a really great point and'm I'm not, I'm not gonna elaborate much on it because I think I think it's pretty obvious technology is just a tool in terms of getting the kids working together and motivating them the teacher is the most important listen remember technology is great it's valuable and all of the other tools you have in your you have at your disposal are valuable But you as the teacher, you have a very important role to play when it comes to motivating and and getting teenagers to work together and to understand the gospel. Like, you are a huge part. Technology is just a tool. Number three, measuring programming progress by lines of code is like measuring aircraft building progress by weight. (laughs) I think this is a really funny one. Um, I, myself, by trade, am a web developer, web designer, so I do a lot of coding in PHP and HTML. So I know that sometimes when you're doing a job, you end up having doing lots of lines of code. And sometimes success does equate to a large script of lots of code. But that doesn't necessarily mean that it always means that, you know, a successful script or a successful project will always have long lines of code. And I love that Bill Gates saying, listen, when you're developing technology, the goal is not to have lots of code no the goal is to produce a piece of software that can accomplish what the what the people needed to accomplish and he, he equates you know making making uh, developing software and, and equating lines of code to building airplanes and adding more weight like again Boeing when they go into their airplane production they don't just say to themselves well the heavier the airplane the more successful it is like no that's asinine like no one would do that in fact Boeing is actually trying to make their planes, lighter if possible throughout the process. And so sometimes less weight is better. Sometimes you want to be more efficient, whether that's developing you know software and coding or whether that means building an airplane or if it means building your student ministry platform or student ministry program. And how do I think this applies? Well, I think oftentimes we have the wrong definition of success right? If Boeing had the wrong definition of success, if for them success was a heavy airplane, they'd be in serious trouble, right? But sometimes in youth ministry, we also have the wrong definition of success. Now, I'm not going to tell you what definition of success you ought to have. What I am going to tell you is this, to really prayerfully consider whether or not your definition of success, both the one that you say with your mouth and the one that you subconsciously believe, and sometimes those aren't always the same, right? Right? You are outwardly espousing and asserting what you believe to be success, and you, you in your heart or hearts, believe what success ought to be or what success looks like. You have that definition, whether you realize it or not, it's in you. So really consider, prayerfully consider, really process and digest: Is my definition of success? the the best and most efficient definition of success. Do I have the right picture of success in my mind in my heart? And have I been teaching my people to have the right definition of success? This is a really great question to tackle to tackle and and, and to really consider. The other element that I think this quote from Bill Gates, you know, brings up is just because you have more doesn't make it better. Just because you have more doesn't mean it actually hits the mark, it hits the goal, right? Just because Boeing adds more weight to the airplanes doesn't make it a better airplane. Just because we add more lines of code to a website or to a piece of software doesn't make it necessarily make it more better. Like It doesn't necessarily make it more likely to be successful just because you add more stuff, right? You gotta add the right stuff at the right place at the right time and sometimes to be successful, You got to cut stuff and cut certain things out at the right place at the right time, right? Just because you add or subtract doesn't make it right. You got to add the right stuff at the right time. And I think that is a lesson that is no doubt very valuable to those of us in pastoral ministry and especially those of us that are in student ministry. I think a lot of times we just add events or we just add stuff because we think that's going to equate to success And in some cases, it actually can weigh us down. It can actually make our success less likely. It can impede our ultimate success by adding more stuff. So just be cautious. You're not just throwing more lines of code at the problem. Number four, I really had a lot of dreams when I was a kid. And I think a great deal of that grew out of the fact that I had a chance to read a lot. Ooh, this is a great one. I think oftentimes people neglect self-education. Now, you may already have a a degree or even a seminary degree, and you may even read to some extent in your life, but I always want to challenge every person. No matter how much self-education you have, no matter how much you are fulfilling or feeding yourself with more content, you can always do a little bit more, and not necessarily more in the same manner, but sometimes in a different way. For example, if you read a lot of books, maybe you should add to your repertoire at some point blogs, or maybe you should add podcast. Or if you're someone that listens to a lot of podcasts, maybe you should add books. If you're someone that only listens to books audibly on Audible or, or some other platform, maybe you should add actually sitting at a coffee shop and reading a book, right? If you're someone that only reads the Bible, maybe you should listen to it. If you're someone that only listens to the Bible, you know, on an audio platform, maybe you should consider actually physically reading it. Like there's a variety of things that we can do to kind of enhance the content. And I think what Bill Gates is referring to is that, listen, the more I read, the more I filled my mind with ideas and stories and narratives, the more my mind would think, the more I would come up with new dreams. And I think it's the same for us today in a variety of different ways. But no doubt when it comes to our self-education or the content we fill ourselves with, the more we put in our brains, the more likely we are to dream of new ideas. So I'd encourage all of us, to self-educate, pack yourself with lots of great content, as much as possible, more and more, as much as you can, and do so in a diversity of ways. I think it will enhance your thinking and your ability to dream. Number five, most people overestimate what they can do in one year, but they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Man, this is a great idea that I think applies to all of us in a variety of ways. I'm not gonna elaborate on much Uh, because I think I don't need to. I'm just going to read it one more time. He says, Most people overestimate what they can do in one year, and they underestimate what they can do in 10 years. Man, let that sink in, and really consider, what can I do if I am steady and consistent over the next decade? Number six, I believe that if you show people the problems, and you show them the solutions, they will be moved to act. You know, sometimes I think we assume people can't handle truth, and so if you actually show them what the problems are and you actually show them what the potential solutions are, I think people oftentimes will jump in. Like sometimes people really want to be a part of a movement. In fact, I think this is the case for all of us. All of us want to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And so I think one of the greatest ways to inspire people to action is to really give them a clue of the bigger movement, the bigger problem that needs to be solved and what we corporately can do to solve it and how they themselves can participate and engage in that solution. Whenever you are trying to motivate, particularly teenagers and young adults, motivate them into action, spend a lot of time painting a quality picture of the problem and a quality picture of the solution that is tangible that they can jump into. If you do that, I think you're going to find people more responsive to, the, to, to, to your pitches on things they ought to engage with. Number seven, if you are born poor, it's not your mistake. If you die poor, it is your mistake. Now, I don't want to talk about economics with this, but I think there's a great point that we can learn from this quote from Bill Gates. Oftentimes, we will inherit a situation that is not ideal. And many times, we end up staying in that scenario, not doing anything about it. Now, what you inherit or oftentimes circumstances that come your way. In many scenarios, are not your fault. However, if you don't do anything about it, well, that is your fault. You know, as the old adage says, when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade, right? Like that's the that's as silly and as old conventional wisdom as that may be, it really does does uh, it really does apply to all of our lives. And I think Bill Gates is right. Listen, if you inherit something that's junk, if, you, if, you, if you're born into a circumstance that's really terrible or, or you walk into a position that's not great, you inherit a small group that's not great, you, you inherit a, a Sunday school class that's got some issues, you, you become the pastor of a church that's got some serious dysfunctions, whatever. Like Whatever scenario you find yourself in, that may not be your fault. But if it remains the same, it doesn't change at all. If it doesn't get better based on your efforts and and based on you know you cultivating an environment where the grace and power of God can have its way, like if if, if the situation is not getting better and more gospel centric, then maybe you need to seriously and prayerfully consider whether or not there's an issue with you and or your leadership. Like if, if you're in a situation that you inherited that hasn't seemingly got any better, that seemingly hasn't gotten any more gospel centric. Then, if I were you, I would really consider what have I done or not done that I should or should not have done to help this problem. We All of us are going to inherit bad situations. What are you going to do about it? Rather than complaining and, and being upset about it, you can step in and do something. This also definitely is really important to remember if you're not the primary leader, maybe you're not the youth pastor, but you are a small group leader working under a youth pastor. You know, you're not the leader of leaders, so to speak, in the ministry. And sometimes we go, well, if the leader just did this, if the leader just did that, like you feel like you inherited this bad leader that you're serving under. Listen, no, 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 it's not his fault there's a problem with your small group, right? It's not the leader's fault. Maybe there's something in the realm of your influence that you could step in and you could do to help the situation overall better. Listen, and I know sometimes there are gonna be moments that you really do inherit a situation that's irreconcilable. And sometimes you're gonna you're gonna be quote unquote born poor. You're gonna be born in a situation that's just irreconcilable, you know, for a variety of reasons. I recognize that there's gonna be moments. But before you assume that you're in a situation that can't be fixed, ask yourself, have I done everything I can do to get out of this situation? Have I done everything that I can do to get out of this metaphorically speaking, quote unquote poor situation. Number eight, television is not real life. In real life, people actually have to leave the coffee shop and go to jobs. This is a great, great bit of wisdom from Bill Gates. I think it's way more profound than I think many of us probably realize. I know he's joking about television, but I think this is the case for all of us. I think we we look at celebrities, whether that be celebrity pastors or celebrities in our culture, and we assume that they that they live their lives in the metaphorical the metaphorical coffee shop, right? We we see Tim Keller at the conference, and that's all we see and know. But we don't know that Tim Keller is in a counseling meeting with someone in his church. We don't we don't know his marital issues at his house, you know, that and he has him and his wife continue to work through their marriage. Or we you know, we see John Piper preaching at the at the you know at the conference, but we don't know the issues maybe he's had with um you know with with some people in his church. Like we see the celebrity pastor, or the author, and we go, Oh, I want to be like them. And we don't necessarily realize that there's a there's kind of a, a real life element to that. We end up we end up idolizing in a lot of ways celebrities or people that are quote unquote living the life. And I think we forget that that the celebrity element or the image that we have painted of them is not real. It's it's no more real than the television character, right? The idolization of John Piper, the conference speaker, that many pastors do. Is not necessarily the real version of John Piper. In fact, I know for sure it's not. I don't never met the man, but I don't have to, to know that that version of John Piper that I maybe fictionally you know drew up in my brain isn't the real John Piper. Now that's not a, I'm not trying to disparage John Piper or Tim Keller. I love those guys. They're two of my favorite authors, right? John Piper has impacted me more than anyone else, uh, you know, any other pastoral theologian of this era, undoubtedly. But I think sometimes, and I know I've been guilty of this, we have the tendency to idolize celebrity pastors, celebrity leaders, or just other people that we know because we only see one portion of them, right? Like the TV character, we only see the portion where they're in the coffee shop. But we, we forget, like, we can't live our lives in that little environment. There's, there's way more to life than just that little part that we see. So don't compare the whole of your life to the little fragment that you see in this other person. I heard someone say it this way once, we often compare what we don't know about other people to what we do know about ourselves. And this is very dangerous. This is emotionally unhealthy in a lot of ways. I think when we, when we base our understandings of whole people or whole movements just on small little, little fragments or little slivers of that person's life or one little sliver of that movement, we end up misunderstanding the movement as a whole and we fall potentially into a trap where we end up comparing ourselves and our ministry to that person or that particular movement. I think this potentially is very dangerous. Number nine, everyone needs a coach. It doesn't matter whether you're a basketball player, a tennis player, a gymnast, or a bridge player. Man, this is some great wisdom. All of us need coaches. Find someone older than you who knows more than you that is willing to spend some time with you that you can learn from. Man, I try to do this all the time. I'm 34, but I hang out with guys that are in their 40s and 50s on a regular basis. There are men in my church in my community that I purposely hang out with at least once, if not twice a month each, as much as I can. I bug them. You know, they, they tell me that they're involved in this thing, I go join that thing, right? There's, there's some older men in my life that were working out together in the morning. I started working out with them in the morning. Not because I like working out. Listen, if you see if you see a picture of a picture of me, you know I'm not a fan of working out, okay? It's pretty obvious. However I wanted to just hang out with those guys because those those were men that were older than me, that were husbands, fathers, pastors, great leaders in their business, great men of God, and I wanted to learn from them. So I purposely hung out with them. I do this in a variety of ways. And I try to find coaches. I try to find people who've been doing student ministry longer than me, people who've been in pastoral ministry longer than me. When it comes to podcasting, I try to find some guys that have done podcasting longer than me and try to learn from them. Sometimes I do that by YouTube, right? Like I'm just watching other YouTube stuff. Sometimes I'm doing that by, by podcasting, right? I'm podcasting about podcasting podcasting from other podcasters that have done it more than me, right? Sometimes you're being coached by people who don't necessarily know you personally, and sometimes you're being coached by people who do know you personally. Sometimes you're being coached in small group, sometimes it's one-on-one. Hey, if you're a youth pastor or college pastor at a local church, one of your coaches ought definitely be the you know the, the lead pastor of that church, your senior pastor, or, or some of the senior eldership of that church. They ought to be coaching you and investing in your life, and it really isn't coming upon you to go find a coach. Don't be apprehensive to being coached or being taught. And I know you probably know this already. All of this you probably know in a lot of ways. But man, over and over again, I talk to youth pastors. I mean, over and over and over again. I used to travel a lot with a large organization where I, where I traveled the country and, and I spoke to youth pastors all the time. You know, I'd meet 30, 40, 50 to 100 youth pastors every weekend. I did this for, for quite some time in my life. And I tell you, over and over again, I can't, I mean, it's amazing to me. I can't even tell you how often I come across youth pastors, that don't really proactively seek after people to coach them. And that they would say, oh yeah, I'm teachable and open, but they're not really. See, everyone needs a coach, as Bill Gates says, no matter what you do, whether you're a youth pastor, basketball player, poker player, bridge player, whatever, like whatever you're doing in life, financial planner, whether you're working out, like no matter what you're doing in life, you need someone who knows you relatively well who can call you out and correct you or you need someone who knows more than you that can give you the information you need or you need someone who's going to inspire you or You need someone who's going to hold you accountable. Like, you need coaches in your life. Go find them Number 10 the best teacher is very interactive Man, I agree with this wholeheartedly. I don't know how many times I've listened to sermons that are just sermons And they could be great sermons and great content, but find ways to be interactive in your communication Find ways to get feedback from the audience. It's even something as simple as, hey, let me let me get some thoughts from the audience. And you walk around with a microphone and you ask a couple questions, right? Or maybe you, you do something that's somewhat interactive. You have them stand up and do something, or you have them repeat something, or you have them watch something on a screen behind you, you know, for a moment, or you have them hold the Bible in their hand and have them read from it aloud as you're reading it. Do something where it's not just them listening to you, but it's interactive. Whether you're leading a small group of eight middle school students, or you're preaching to a thousand high school students. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. When you're the teacher, find ways to communicate in an interactive way. Now, also, I want to add to this, I don't think this just applies to your teaching. I think this applies to your ministry as a whole. If the only thing they get from you is teaching, no matter how dynamic or interactive it may be, listen, your ministry is going to be severely limited. They have to interact with you. The greatest teachers are interactive in the sense that they interact with the people they're teaching. I've talked about this quite a bit in previous episodes, whether that's going to ball games and sitting with them, whether that's going to a movie, having guys over your house. Interact with young adults and young people because they're going to learn more from you as they interact from you than to do any of your sermons. Listen, I promise. I don't remember many of the sermons my youth pastor preached when I was in high school, but I remember a lot of the conversations I had with my youth pastor at his house when we were hanging out. Be interactive in your sermons, and more importantly, be interactive on a personal level, on an interpersonal level with your people throughout the course of your ministry. This will make all the difference in the world. Number 11, your most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning. Oh man, if leaders could learn this, if youth pastors could learn this, heck, if any pastor could learn this, they would be so valuable. See, so often when someone complains or they're frustrated, we end up discounting them. Now, oftentimes they deserve to be discounted, right? Someone is complaining. They're just, let's be honest, right? We've all had that. We've had someone just being a punk. They're just, they're just angry they didn't get their way. And we've all had parents in student ministry that have done this. Uh, we've all worked with other people, whether it be other leaders or people on our staff, whether it be someone we're engaging with throughout the course of our ministry. Like, there's been a whole host of us that all they do, it all is a whole host of us that have that have interacted with a whole host of group of people that are simply complainers for the sake of complaining and they're not all that helpful to you in a lot of ways. That, that, that does happen. However, if you stop and listen to that person, even if they leave and they end up not interacting with you ever again, even if they're wrong in the way they approach you, oftentimes when they're unhappy or frustrated, that's the opportunity to learn a lot. And I've learned a lot about how to be a better leader and a better pastor when people were complaining about me or frustrated with me than when people were just praising me and telling me how great I was. Like, I get I get way more uh, quality feedback from people listening to podcasts if they're if they're unhappy with something right if they're frustrated with something I said, they shoot me an email and they let me know if the quality of the audio is not good or if there's some other problem with the podcast, they let me know because they're unhappy with what, what's going on with what they're getting and those are the moments where I most often have the opportunity to learn and to grow because so oftentimes, people would not correct me or point those things out unless they're unhappy, right? When people are unhappy with you, they're often motivated to point out the things you need to get better. And they may be a jerk, and they may be wrong in so many ways, but when they're unhappy, they often have some bit of feedback that's worthy of taking, listening to, and applying to your life. Number 12, expectations are a form of first-class truth. If people believe it, it's true. Oh man, isn't this a, a very true statement? Even if we don't want it to be true, It is. Listen, if people accept up, expect something to be true, then they will believe it is true. If they believe it's true, then it's true in their mind, and you can't change that. So what do you have to do? You have to be really good at managing expectations. Be really, really good at that. Now, if you're serving under a leader, you should ask for clear expectations. If you are the leader, you should be setting clear expectations. Right? I mean, this is so important. If I tell you, "Hey guys, I'm going to post a podcast episode every day," and then over the next month you only see 4 episodes, you're going to be you're going to think to yourself, "Man, what's wrong with Kenny? Man, that's really it's really odd. He said he was going to post he's going to post once a once a day and it's only been 4 episodes over the last 30 days." But if I came on here and said, "Hey guys, I'm going to post an episode once a month, maybe more." And then all of a sudden, I start giving you more content, you're going to go, Man, Kenny promised at least one one or two episodes a month, but he's given us four or five a month, and he's really working hard for us. He's really seeking to invest in the audience by giving us better, you know, more quality content. Well, well, see, you see, the expectations that I have set really begins to manage your perception of me. You have to make sure you manage expectations well. And this is an area where many leaders in a variety of ways end up failing. Make sure you set really good expectations expectations for your people. Especially if you're a youth pastor with other leaders under you, make sure you have very clear expectations, right? If you have a new small group leader that comes in and doesn't know what he's doing, hey, you tell them, listen, here's what you ought to expect from this new small group over the next few months or years, like, because they may feel like a failure, right? They may not realize, you may not realize they feel that way, but they feel like a failure because they haven't lived up to the expectations that they had. But if you're able to set clearer and better expectations, you're able to manage their perspective and manage their 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 emotions throughout the process. Expectations, very, very important. Number 13, success is a lousy teacher. It seduces smart people into thinking they can't lose. Oh, this is a great one. I think so many times people are good at something and they see some level of success and therefore they assume that they can't ever fail. Or they assume that the way they did it successfully is the way that it should always be done and I was a part of a very large nonprofit for many years, and uh, and it was very successful in a lot of ways. And the problem is, people fell in love with our own success. And I was a part of an organization that eventually collapsed, that went bankrupt and fell apart. In large part, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why, but one of the reasons I saw systemically was you had some key senior leaders that really, that really believed they couldn't fail in some ways that, that we look back on, all of us look back on, those of us who worked there, retroactively you're saying to ourselves, man, we, we really should have known that we were gonna fail in some of these ways. That was really a foolish risk. And I've been guilty of this too, both when I worked there and well in some other ventures in my life. I have failed in a lot of ways that I thought there was no way I could fail because some version of early success seduced me into thinking I couldn't fail. Listen, no matter how good you are at whatever you do, no matter how much success you think you've had, you potentially could fail in your greatest areas of strength don't think that you're above failure keep working hard keep doing everything you got to do to make sure you don't fail you know in our last episode Mike McGreary was talking about having relationships with parents how he had really worked these to develop these strong relationships with parents here's a guy who was writing his doctoral dissertation on on re- relational dynamics between families and parents and the church that they're a part of like we did the episode on a bridge between the family and the church and here's a guy who he has a phd and did his doctoral dissertation on this topic and he had these great relationship with parents and then once those parents were gone because their kids graduated, he had this new group of parents that he didn't do as good of a job to cultivate a relationship with, and he ended up having some failures, and, and some, some of those parents wanted him fired. Like He talked about that in our previous episodes, really great content that he shared. I really appreciate his vulnerability. And it was a really, really good idea, a really good reminder that no matter how good you are, no matter how educated you are in an area, if you don't stay on top of it, if you're not diligent, if you're not consistent, if you don't stay humble, man, there is a potential for some serious failure. Be very cautious that you don't fall in love with your early successes and the way you achieve those successes. And number 14, the last one on our list for today, it says this. It's fine to celebrate success, but it is more important to heed the lessons of failure. And this goes along with with number 13, the one I, I previously just read but the, the idea of making sure that we learn from our failures. It's perfectly okay to celebrate success. In fact, we should celebrate success, right? When things are successful, we should make a big deal of them. We should celebrate, right? When you have a, a new small group leader who comes and they lead their first small group, the next time you have a, a leader meeting, you get in, you go, hey guys, so-and-so just had their first meeting, their first small group meeting. It was awesome. You celebrate it, right? You should have parties. You should You should be publicly praising people on a regular basis and you should be privately praising them on a regular basis like there should be a culture of celebration of successes within the environment that you are leading if there's not there's a serious problem that you need to address however as important as that is and i value celebrating success a lot as important as that is even more important in my opinion i agree with bill gates in this what's even more important is to heed the, the the lessons you learn from failure. When you fail, when things go wrong, when things don't go as well as planned or as you, ought, you thought they ought to go, there is always at least one, if not a plethora of lessons that can be learned about our leadership, about our interpersonal relationships, about our communication style. I mean, there are so many things in so many regards. If you really consider your failures, Whether you do that by yourself and you're processing and digesting it, whether you're doing it with the Lord in prayer, whether you do that with your team, bring your staff team in and you you have dialogues, you have some conversations, or maybe you're a, a small group leader and you're dialoguing with some of the other small group leaders about failures. Maybe you're a parent and you dialogue with your spouse about some failures in your parental relationship. But no matter what it is, whether you're doing it alone with the Lord or you're doing it in a small group of people, when you are processing and digesting, when you go through that process, you can come up with a long list of lessons, things you could have done better, things you should have done, things you should not have done, things you could do differently, things you could implement, perspective you can gain, and again, overall leadership lessons that can be learned from moments of failure. And I'll tell you this, the greater the failure, the greater the lesson learned, right? The, the more wide and more impacting the, the failure, the longer the list of, of lessons that you will learn if you thoroughly process and digest and consider what the failures were too many people don't sit and consider their failures and the lessons learned now we don't want to sit and just harp and be upset and angry and feel like losers no that's not our goal i'm saying you sit in a meeting and you process and you consider the failures with this perspective in mind what can we have done better what should we have done what should not we have done with the goal in mind that we're going to do this differently and apply these lessons to future choices right it's not just harping on the past and giving feedback for feedback's sake. No, it's 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 digesting and considering and processing the past and debriefing the moments of failure and extrapolating the lessons and feedback so they can apply to moments in the future so that we can make better decisions and be better leaders. That's the goal. I love Bill Gates' words there. It is better to heed the lessons learned from failure than it is to celebrate successes. And there you have it some thoughts from Bill Gates. I hope that was valuable. I hope that was insightful and encouraging for you in some way or another. I really uh, like some of Bill Gates' wisdom there, and I think we could really learn a lot from some of the things he said and really apply that to our lives and our ministry uh, in a variety of ways. So hopefully that was helpful to you and your leadership as you continue to endeavor to do this thing we call student ministry. Before I let you go, let me give you a quick heads up on one other item, one other bit of business. You heard the ad roll at the beginning from Blue Sky Missions. Hey, if you're a group leader looking to take your kids on a mission trip, I'd love to connect with you. Me or someone on my team can connect with you and consult, give you some thoughts and advice on maybe some things you can do and, and maybe have a collaborative conversation as to whether or not maybe Blue Sky Missions is a good fit to help you as you plan your mission trip. We'd love to dialogue with you about that. If you want more information, head over to our website. It's blueskymissions.org. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of the podcast. Hope this has been helpful and insightful. If you have a question or a topic that you want me to address on the podcast, or if you or someone you know would like to be interviewed on the podcast, I'd love to hear from you. Shoot me an email. The address is HeyOrtiz at Student Ministry Podcast.com. That's H E Y O R T I Z at Student Reminder to check out my other podcast, Theology for the Rest of Us. The easiest way to find it is on the web at Theology for the Rest of Us. Com. If you'd like to connect with me personally, the best place to do this is on Twitter. I love connecting with people on Twitter, so find me there. My handle is at Kenneth Ortiz. It's K-E-N-N-E-T-H-O-R-T-I-Z. Our intro and outro theme music for this podcast has been Actionable by Ben Sound. I'm Kenny Ortiz, and this has been the Student Ministry Podcast.